Welcome to Diving Board, a show about artists, the art they create, and the wide range of social and cultural ideas they explore. I'm Bill Valerio, and I run the Woodmere Art Museum, where we tell the stories of Philadelphia's art and artists. I'm happy to tell you that Woodmere was finally able to reopen its doors to the public on July 25th. We are carefully following all required measures to stay in compliance with Philadelphia's latest guidelines to make sure the museum is a healthy and safe place to visit. With the required social distance, the experience with art inside the galleries is contemplative and quiet, what I would describe as a quality experience with art, and we are in the process of reinventing our events and programs so they can either take place online or outdoors. Woodmere is fortunate to have green space and beautiful grounds. As part of the celebration around the exhibition Africa and the Arts of Philadelphia, we're excited about the upcoming Afrocentric jazz and fashion show taking place outside at Woodmere with all social distance measures in place across the grounds. The Arpeggio Jazz Ensemble will be performing undefeated jazz and Afrocentric music and fashion with models walking around the grounds and interacting with Woodmere's outdoor sculpture, showcasing Africa-inspired fashion, accessories, and jewelry. Bring your wallets because some of it will be available for purchase. The Afrocentric Jazz and Fashion Show takes place on Saturday, August 29th, and I encourage that you please purchase tickets in advance. You can plan to see the exhibition from noon to 1 and enjoy the jazz and fashion from 1 to 2.30, or arrive at 3.30 for the second set until 4.30 and then see the exhibition after the performance. We're also glad to give you a voucher to see the exhibition at another time, but please remember, it's a great show and it closes on September 7th. For more details and tickets about the Jazz and Fashion Show, go online to woodmereartmuseum.org and click on the calendar tab on the homepage. In the meantime, as part of our Diving Board 2020 initiative, we're going to hear now about the concept behind the Afrocentric Jazz and Fashion Show and how it's taking place in the context of the pandemic and our current need to examine the roots and manifestations of racial injustice. At the museum, we understand our job to be sharing art that brings about positive momentum and cultural change. The exhibition, Africa and the Arts of Philadelphia, is about the inspiration of African art and a shared exploration that began in the late 1960s in the context of the civil rights movement between three artists, Twin 7-7, an artist who came to Philadelphia from Nigeria, and two African-American artists of our city, Barbara Bullock and Charles Searles. For these artists, African culture represents a joyous, positive heritage with the power to replace skin color and hateful cultural stereotypes as defining factors in shaping Black identity in America. The main organizer of the Jazz and Fashion Show is Warren Ori, leader of the Arpeggio Jazz Ensemble and co-founder of Lifeline Music. For 10 years, Warren has been a longtime collaborator at Woodmere on various programming initiatives, including our Friday night jazz series, which we look forward to bringing to you on Saturday evenings in the fall and outside on our grounds. 
fashion designer Julia Turner Lowe will also share her perspective with us. After retiring as a school finance administrator, Julia started her own fashion label, JTL Designs, and is among the group of designers who will be showcasing their work at the Jazz and Fashion Show. Some of Julia's clothing and creations will be shown on models, along with specially designed masks for the occasion. The accent will be on the Afrocentric designs, shapes, styles, rhythms, movements, colors, and ideas. So all of that goes into a salad bowl. And when you stir it around, you come up with some great colors, some great music, some great ideas, some great movement. So it's very exciting to be a part of it because jazz is very Afrocentric in nature anyway. So it's not like a hard find to try to get that to go together. But it's still very interesting to put this in conjunction with models where we will have models modeling the designs of some of the vendors who are going to be displaying their wares. And we're not doing the typical model thing where you see the model walking down the runway like a zombie with no expression and, and hardly any movement. We're going to have the models utilizing the sculptures in the front of the Woodmere Museum as they walk and sort of walk around and interact with the sculptures. And the live music that will be accompanying the models will really be based on their own personal rhythms. What I've had the models do so far is I've asked them to come meet me and then to walk. Now, of course, they look at me like I'm crazy. I say, no, just walk, just walk. And when they're walking, I record it. And then I go home and study the rhythms, their gates, their strides. And I put the music together with their rhythms, with their gates, with their strides. And so the music matches their own natural rhythm of walking. And so you don't have, you know, Purple Haze by Jimi Hendrix playing with somebody who is so far from Purple Haze. You know what I mean? So the music is mostly original. And again, the music is designed to match each model's stride and personal walk. When you think of the origin of jazz, a lot of people will say New Orleans and places like that. I always say jazz was born in Africa, but it was raised in New Orleans and kind of grew up and matured in New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles, and Philadelphia, by all means. But the whole concept of jazz music is a call and response type of mode. And so jazz is very African in that sense because with jazz music, you have people soloing and then people responding. You have the rhythm section, piano, bass, and drums, and guitar, laying down a foundation and then a particular soloist will state their feeling, their mood, whatever it is they're doing, and the rhythm section responds. So you have the call and response going on there. Now again, as we moved over to the Western Hemisphere, a few more European elements were added into the music called jazz. And so you had harmonics being involved and you had different melodies and rhythms that were a little beyond a basic call and response. 
So you mix all that together and you got the gumbo and jambalaya of New Orleans. And as jazz traveled up the Mississippi and stopped off in Chicago, went over to New York, Philadelphia, you had different input, the blues sound, that sound of the blues. So all of that comes together and you create a music that is, I say, having your cake and eating it too. Because with jazz, contrary to what people think, it does pay to know some theory. A lot of people think, oh, they just get up there and play. No, not at all. But on the other hand, it is good to be able to do that too because you have people who only know theory and they sound stiff and boring and perfect, but that's not what jazz is. Charlie Mingus, great jazz bass player, once said, jazz is more than just music. Jazz is life. Jazz is what you live. You live jazz. And I can relate to that 120% because I, I live jazz because... I like being spontaneous, I like being unpredictable, but also like to have the ability to follow a particular course too, to have an outline. And then when you can do that together, then you really have something that tugs at your heartstrings. So this fashion show deals with all of those elements. It deals with the spontaneity of the models interacting with the sculptures. It deals with the outline of their rhythm being connected to the music. And then it deals with the unpredictable, like what will they do? Like when I had some of the models look at the sculptures, a couple of them said, well, what do you want me to do? I said, that's gonna depend on August 29th, the kind of day you've had so far when you get out on that field with the sculpture. Then you'll know what you're gonna do. There's no way I can tell you, do this, because that day is far away, and we don't know how you're going to feel that day. But just do honest. Just do honest, you know? And when you do that, you're in for a good time. You're in for a good ride. So, and that's the same with the musicians. Fortunately, the guys in my band, Larry and Calvin and Frank and Pablo, these cats they can do it on the drop of a dime. Boom, wherever we need to be, that's where we are. And it's nice to work with courageous artists like that. It's a blessing. So I think it's gonna be a good time, a real jazzy, Afrocentric time. I have a background of always just going forward, regardless, you know, whether it's through the military or through the streets. I grew up in a very tough neighborhood in Southwest Philly, 49th and Woodland. And the thing was, I loved it. It wasn't the kind of neighborhood where I was like, oh, I can't wait to get out of this. My mind was so crazy. I loved every crazy moment of it, being in the gang and fighting and fighting in school and just doing all of that crazy stuff. So I always had this kind of energy because I didn't start playing music until I was 25. I had been through more crazy stuff in my life and I met this piano player who kind of challenged me. Cause see, I used to always love music though. Even though I didn't play it and even though I had no thoughts of playing it. 
But I would go to the clubs, you know, after I reached like 21, I was going into the clubs and I would always look at the bass player. And the bass player to me seemed like the coolest cat in the group. He would be standing, I'm talking about with the upright bass. He's standing there with the bass and he's playing. I'm like, oh man, look at this guy. But I never thought I would do that. But this piano player challenged me one time by asking me a question. He said, if you could play an instrument, what would you play? I said, a bass, without even thinking about it. He said, so why don't you get one? I said, come on, man, I'm 25 years old. What do you mean? Like going down the street and buying a pack of chewing gum or something, you know? And then he really challenged me. He said, well, I guess you don't want to do it. And I'm like, whoa. So I thought about it. I went back to him and he took me to this store at 12th and Federal called DeLuca and Sons, where I walked in there and all these bases were laying against the wall. I thought I was like, oh man, I couldn't believe how I felt. And I went over and grabbed this one particular bass who was winking at me. And I went over and grabbed her and I touched her. And she said, I'm yours. And I said, you're right. And that was it. And that's the same bass that I play today. The very same bass. Her name is Kay. So I'm giving you a shout, Kay. And um, it just changed my whole life. So my MO has always been to beat the odds because most people in my neighborhood said I would be dead by the time I was 20. And I can understand it. When I look back, I can see, oh, they were justified in saying it, the way I was living, the way I was acting. But so with this thing coming along, I mean, I've been through some stuff. I've been through a lot of crazy changes in my life. So this is another one. And even though it's on a much grander scale than just my life, it's affecting the whole world. I still believe we can't let fear in. I mean, I believe in being conscious, but not unconscious. I always tell this little story about the frog and the snake and my grandchildren. They say, okay, here comes the frog and the snake story again. But (laughs) the snake will crawl up on the frog. The frog becomes paralyzed with fear. The frog will just sit there frozen with fear. Now think about it, the frog has legs, the frog can hop, but he's so frozen with fear, the snake doesn't even have legs. So if the frog was not so fearful, he could hop away. He's so frozen with fear, the snake crawls up on him and eats him. So I always say, don't let fear take over. Again, be wise, be conscious, but don't let fear in your house, because when fear comes in, nothing works, especially you yourself. You become that frog, just frozen. So I like to give that message, and you know, I try not to walk around giving a lot of slogans, but I always, you know, I'm a musician, what can I say? And one of my favorite ones lately has been, I'm not a worrier, I'm a warrior. And I think that's the kind of attitude we need to have. If we're going to beat this, if we're going to come through this, then we have to be confident. I look at my grandchildren. I got to see them grow up. There's still too much living to do. There's still way too much living to do to throw the chips in now and say, no, okay, well, we're done. No, we're not done. We're not done at all. My sax player, Larry Price, he said something a couple months ago He said, man, you know why people are just acting so much crazier now? 
Cause there ain't no live music, man. They not here. I mean, no matter where you go in the world, no, hardly nobody's working. Whether you're Herbie Hancock or Billy Jones from 10th Street, nobody's working. People aren't hearing as much live music. And that live music goes inside you. It's very physical. It's very physical. So as a result, there's some short circuits going off. Fortunately, that seems to be starting to pick up a little bit. And, you know, I'm hoping that more of it does happen. Of course, you know, it's hard to say with the shutdowns and the back and forth. But again, we're going to be all right. This music is going to come. I say I feel like I'm going to be a jet plane busting out of a dark cloud, baby. Zooming 33,000 feet in the air, just dropping all these music bombs on everything. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. I'm Julia Turner Lowe. I moved to Philadelphia in 2016 after retiring as an administrator at a school in Boston as the finance director for that school. All along, since I was 13 years old, I have sewn for myself. I sewed for my children as they were growing up. And when I retired, I decided that one of the things I wanted to do was start a clothing line for the full-figured woman. My particular style is what I would call sort of classic timeless designs, but with a little bit of an edge and certainly pieces that you can just really use them like a canvas in some ways and then add whatever kinds of accessories that you like and they just move through different eras, you know. So this is really a great part of just who I am as a person. My love for art sort of shows through in the way that I stylize anything that I'm wearing or if I'm using a model, the way that I put together the look that I want. I grew up in Mississippi and I mean, I never really thought of myself in the sense of, okay, we were poor, poor, but we certainly didn't have a ton of resources. I learned to sew at 13 in home ec classes. And the one thing that I would do, I would babysit and I would buy fabric. That's really my passion, to be quite honest. And I would make, say, a dress or a skirt or a top and I always had clothes that they had to be used in multiple ways. So the simpler the design was really part of it for me. And then I love jewelry. I love earrings. I love necklaces. I never leave the house without my necklace, my bracelets, my rings, all of those things. And so I can have a piece, say a dress, and it can go from evening to work 
to casual stroll. And a lot of what happens is the way that, you know, if you think about the dress as the canvas, then the way that I am painting, so you use that metaphor a little bit more, is the things that I add to that particular look. And it was out of necessity when I was very young. Even now, when I was working, obviously right now, I'm not doing too much of any kind of dressing except to go downstairs. But, you know, if I wore something to work and someone may say to me, oh, I love that piece that you're wearing. When did you get it or where did you get it? I usually can't remember because it's been about 10 or 15 years. And that's because the actual piece whether it's a linen dress or something, is something that's actually quite simple and quite timeless. And the reason why it's making a statement is because of the things that I add to that, you know, for me, the canvas. Specifically, I would not say that my clothes demonstrate what might be called, say, an Afrocentric look. And as I was talking to Warren, one of the things he said, and I really totally agree with this, because, you know, if we think about jazz and any of those things that any person out of the African diaspora, we all are influenced in some ways by something that's rather Afrocentric, you know, in terms of how we express ourselves or whatever. And so when I started to think of it from that perspective, I was like, okay, my clothes can fit in this show just because I certainly would think of, you know, just sort of a juxtaposition of the mass that I'm making actually to go with some of the clothes, you know, given where we are with the pandemic. And those are definitely very improvisational. These are special one of a kind masks. These are not the ones that, you know, one might use every day as they're taking a walk. And those masks will also be shown at the uh, fashion show. Those are definitely what I would say very connected to a what I say the creativity of just what it means to be a descendant from some part of Africa, even though we don't know exactly where that might have been. So I'm a quilter and I love all kinds of art, but I would say the art that speaks to me most is the art that would be considered more abstract. So for me, the G's Benz quilts, I don't know if you know those quilts, but they came out of Alabama and it's these African-American women who are descendants, you know, from Africa, but ended up in a part of Alabama, I believe it is, that was kind of cut off from sort of mainstream society. And so when you look at these masks, they're very abstract in the way that they are. And I absolutely love them. So what I do with the fabrics is just sort of cut and paste in every single one. I never, I can use the same fabric and I've made, say, five, six different masks out of the same fabric, but none of them looks the same because I'm creating them as I go. 
you know, I'm using the basic foundations of quilting. And then once I make a piece of fabric, so to speak, from all of these different pieces of fabric, you know, it's now a noun design, then I decide what part of that am I going to cut out and make a mass from. And so what I've done with the clothing that I have is just kind of looked at them and started to think about, okay, which mask will I pair with the clothes? And it reminds me a lot of some of what's in the exhibit. You know, when you think about, say, the Charles Searles pictures where you have all of these different fabrics and seemingly they don't go together and yet they work so well together. So you have these different patterns and that's what I've done with the mass. I'd like to explain a little bit about who I am. So I just turned 70 in July. I grew up in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. So as I was growing up, I left at 16. But as I was growing up, I was not able to attend a library. I don't even know if there was a museum in Hattiesburg at the time, but everything was very segregated is really the point that I'm making. So when I left Mississippi, I came by train and to live with my aunt, my mother's sister and my cousin in Brooklyn, New York and enrolled in high school in my 11th and 12th grade in that school. And it was there that I went to a public library for the very first time. And so every day after school, this was in Brooklyn, I would first go to the Brooklyn Museum of Art and just to decompress and look at art or the botanical garden, because they were all right there on Flashbook Avenue together, and then go to the library and do my homework before I came home. It was just like I sucked in all of that. And then throughout my adult life, I added to that jazz and then, of course, drama. And each one of those have been an integral part of my adult life, you know, since 16 and moving into young adulthood, living in New York and then Connecticut and then Boston. So it was important for me as a docent to welcome in the young children who come to the museum, most of them in the school's program are the city of Philadelphia students. And for them, you know, we have wonderful docents. And so this has nothing to do with any of the docents, but I think it was very important. And that's why I'm there as one of maybe one or two docents that are African-American and to be able to share art and my love for art with the children that come in. And I do that with any children, but, you know, specifically those and to just know how much art in all of its many forms can enrich you. I mean, I think this is sort of a very interesting moment in time that we're living through both with the pandemic and, of course, the Black Lives Matter movement that's happening and you know just in terms of this show and hopefully many others that all institutions whether they be art institutions you know whatever 
they might be cultural or political, all of those really look deeply at sort of systemic things that needs to change. And so that to me is important and that it's not just something that's being done on the surface. I'm hopeful and yet, you know, I've lived through the 70s, you know, in the 60s I was young, but, you know, the 70s. And so much of what we're seeing right now feels performative and not really looking at how you make the shifts. You know, so, for example, if we're talking about an institution, who's sitting at the table making the decisions, not just putting up a show that might feature Black people, you know, so it's deep in terms of what I think needs to happen. And everybody, hopefully, are doing their part in terms of their own self-examination and what that means. In self, I mean self at your own personal level, self at your institutional level, you know, whatever it takes. And how do you get to the next stage in terms of really making change? And so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Special thanks to Julia Turner-Lowe and Warren Ori for taking the time to speak with us. We hope to see you on August 29th for the Afrocentric Jazz and Fashion Show. To purchase tickets, head online to woodmereartmuseum.org and click the calendar tab on the homepage, where you can also find links to our digital catalogs for the museum's current and past exhibitions and more information about other upcoming events. And do please make sure to stay in touch with us on social media at Woodmere Art. Diving Board's producer is Stephanie Marutis of Covenda Media, and I'm Bill Valerio. Thanks for joining us.